Welcome, one and all, to Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek Discovery podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Ahoy, Pete. I like science. Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, for episode 211, Perpetual Infinity, comes to you now via Secure Data Module Transfer. And just a bit of fleet news before we launch into the episode. In perhaps the lightest Star Trek news week all season, CBS All Access has confirmed what was widely assumed that the Discovery finale will be on April 18th in the U.S. and Canada and the 19th elsewhere. Well, if you're jonesing, Matt, for uh, Star Trek Discovery news past that, we did record a podcast about the uh, Paley Fest 2019 Star Trek Discovery panel. So that awaits you on iTunes or on fantasticgeek.com. Yes, yeah, super fun panel to watch and uh, a lot of, uh, maybe not a lot of breaking news coming out of there, but certainly great to see the cast and the uh, producers talking about the show and uh, giving hints, non hints uh, as to things to come and uh, confirmation that this is the prime Spock and not that evil one where they shine lights in your eyes and things of that sort, but uh, certainly a, an episode of our podcast worth checking out if you have not already. Speaking of confirmation, Matt. Lastly, to our own Red Angel with Visions of the Future, thanks for still listening. And now for our mission briefing. A wolf howls on the Vulcan colony of Doctori Alpha, where the Burnham family lives in a research outpost. Dr. Gabrielle Burnham announces the supernova is imminent. She's harnessing the energy for time crystal test nine beta in anticipation of her first jump. Michael calls her mother to dinner, explaining to her father how a star goes supernova every second. Through her telescope, Michael sees a new light in the sky, but it's not a meteor because it's landing. A lot of concern online, Pete, from a small minority. Oh, these time crystals, they make my brain hurt. Why can't we go back to slingshots around the sun? This from a, you know, a Star Trek that in other shows has used glitter water to help make people go from a transporter room set to a hellscape planet set. It's all fiction. Let's relax. With that Klingon ship coming, Pete, Dad reaches for a phaser. He's going to buy some time while Michael gets hidden. Uh, young Michael is sent into that closet while there's red alert sounds. Dad points that old school phaser. Quick cut to sick bay where our Michael Burnham awakens with Dr. Culber now reinstated, saying that she had uh, asphyxiation for over a minute. Burnham assumed that she hallucinated seeing her mother, but no, it was her. Of course, Pete, the big story out here, mitochondrial DNA does have similarities, it being her mother and all. So there's your exception to the rule of we're totally sure last week that it's Burnham. And and not a fake, not the uh, the digital parasite like we speculated as well that, uh, that Cornwell had pointed out. Um, having realized her mother has returned here, uh, despite having heard it and uh, Leland's admission of responsibility in her parents' murder at the hands of the Klingons. 
then Pike tells her that her mother is being cared for down on Esau 4. Culber tells her it's not safe to beam down until the effects of radiation poisoning dissipate. Her mother is unconscious but safe within the containment field. Pike preaches patience, but Burnham, who's believed her mother has been Ted since she was 10, understandably wants to see her and as soon as possible. Spock walks in, seeing that Burnham is herself again. This a, uh, a little bit of a sweet Vulcan burn, a little bit of a, of a welcome back uh, spirit from him in terms of, uh, you know, she's all fired up and energetic and whatnot. Uh, the suit, he says, has a mission log of 841 missions. Uh, Burnham will have a chance to look over them while they wait for Mom to awaken. On the Section 31 ship, there's a holographic representation of Burnham, of Pike, talking to the not-dead Leland. Surprise, surprise. Control can take many forms. Earlier, a Vulcan was easier to represent, Control says, but Control needs a face and a body. Leland denies it while being told that he can operate uh, with several patterns of behavior, several truths, all without remorse. It's time for his evolution and Control's evolution all while the machine starts to drill into him, flooding him with, Pete, what we as Star Trek fans immediately recognize as nanites, and he screams. Yeah, the Burnham to Pike to Saru, and then to Leland here as the face of the control um, becoming Leland. Really, really creepy. Well done. I thought Anson Mount in particular portrayed it in its most cold form there uh was wondering if if that was going to be the thing now but i i like that they've taken on the uh the flesh version uh with the uh the nanites to into the title card well as we're talking about uh performances let's presage just for a moment where we head in the episode alan van sprang who plays leland it is amazing how he can give a different performance as control leland without being you know I am RoboCop, or something that would be obvious to the characters, although obviously uh, Giorgio has some questions in her head almost initially, but thus is the nature of the narrative. But just the ability for him to give a slightly different spin is is really wonderful. As you mentioned, Pete, the credits show no Wilson Cruz in an episode with Wilson Cruz. Uh, yes to Shazad Latif and special guest star Michelle Yeoh, uh, in addition to all our other regulars. The episode is written by Alan McElroy, writer of An O-Ball for Karen and 1997's Spawn film, and Brandon Schultz, a writer's assistant for the show in this, his first full-length TV credit. The episode was directed by Maja Rilo, longtime TV editor, a more recent director, and the director of Short Trek Runaway, seen in Our Past but made in the future after this episode. Burnham views the surveillance feed of her unconscious mother before accessing the mission logs from the beginning. Um, Dr. Mom there, as we'll refer to her from here on out, Matt, uh, put the time crystal in the suit and planned to jump back an hour to get her family out of there before the Klingons arrived. Instead, she went 950 years into the future. Uh, when there are no signs of life. She keeps trying to get back to them, but can't manage to stay. Antimatter detonation across the galaxy indicates control wiped out everything. Vulcan, Andoria, Telar Prime, Deneva, and Earth, which is an 
uninhabited wasteland. Fun little story conceit here in terms of the suit having packaged into it two drones, which allow you to have point of view shots as she records these logs, as well as, you know, mid shots, wide shots, things like that, that of course are suitable for our narrative, all made possible because the thing has two drones in her arm. Um, but back to these logs, uh, we see in mission 009 that mom is trying to get back to Mike and Michael. Uh, she keeps getting pulled back to that spot 950 years in the future uh, where everything is alone. Our story continues on the bridge where Tilly notes abnormal gravitational readings. And uh, Saru mentions Newton's third law uh, in action that the containment field is holding Dr. Burnham. And it's a tug of war with the universe. Also a great potential Star Trek title in the future. Uh, Stamets has the same problem as well and is given more power. Pete, we get a mission clock two hours until the tug of war with the universe is lost. Oh my God. It's like Tilly's second favorite law right after. Anyway, Matt, the control possessed Leland enters the section 31 bridge and raises suspicion about Dr. Mom since he saw her dead. George points out Admiral Cornwell placed uh, Burnham's mother under Discovery's purview, Leland recaps if Control downloads the sphere data from Discovery, it will achieve consciousness. Tyler raises the possibility that Dr. Mom came back to prevent Control from taking over. Leland has created a secure area within their data storage that Control will totally never be able to access, and he needs Tyler to get him that data. He can protect Burnham and all sentient life. Giorgio notes Leland's resoluteness. Back to Burnham, who's watching more logs. Mom has found a home on a Class M world without technology. Mom notes that time is fluid. The future can change in the past, too. Later, Mom's log notes uh, that she simply cannot stop control, can't stop the sphere. Hey, what if the sphere gets put in Discovery's path? With that, Spock enters, hoping that the mission logs are valuable. I would say, Pete, that they are. Love that they've retconned, that they've built into the story here. The, the planet that she's on is Terralisium. Um, So her need to get those survivors from the nuclear disaster, and it's the planet she eventually inhabits, albeit after controls, wiped everybody out, was... Uh, you know, a, a, a nice piece of story seating. Um, and uh, with Colbert here on the surface reporting that Dr. Mom is regaining consciousness and the tachyon levels, thank goodness, Matt, they're beginning to normalize. So we can now, you know, bring Dr. Mom into the story, but she only wants to speak to Pike. Wait, not her daughter, only the captain? We get an act break, then Burnham is angry. After all, Mom, as we're calling her, is her mother. Pike and Spock are inclined to agree uh, with Mom, and Culber wonders if Mom is the same person that she was before stepping into the time suit. Culber, of course, an excellent person to speak as to uh, some of those changes. Pike's decision, though, is final. He beams down, he approaches the containment field, but they need to talk fast because that suit is increasingly being pulled back. Tick-tock, tick-tock, story clock, Pete. 
yes, with Burnham's sign line there, uh, Pike speaks with her. She knows all about him and tells him how he'll soon return to the Enterprise. She could say more about his future, Matt, but he wouldn't like it. Beep, beep. She needs him to let her go so that the sphere data can be protected from control. She also says that she doesn't know about the seven simultaneous signals that appeared in the sky, Matt. You know, in the space sky, the ones that appeared there. She tells him that he can help by deleting the sphere data that control needs to evolve. But he says he cannot release her. She is, of course, unsentimental. Pike is a ghost, one of trillions in a dead galaxy, uh, which, of uh, of course, is the first uh, time. And we get a, a number of them in this episode where she's kind of putting individuals in perspective of this tremendous unimaginable loss that she has seen back on discovery saru says that to delete the sphere data is like burning the library at alexandria and worse uh the uh biblioteca corvana that one too pete i would (laughs) it would be awful if it's gone whenever that is uh tyler at least appears to record part of the conversation but suddenly the computer system isn't responding as it should the, uh, the the core is partitioning itself off, particularly with all that sphere data and uh, firewalls appearing everywhere. There's now no way to destroy it. And Tyler palms that device. Pete, I think he done did that computer thing. You think that he created the Xeno encryption? I do. I, I initially I thought that he was recording the conversation. No, that's there. that that's the transfer. He was he was copying it. Then, then it certainly is interesting that it's at that moment that the data just, I guess the data starts to partition itself while being copied. I mean, I I, I would I that's would accept just, that yeah, too. That's that's just timing. You know, he had second thoughts and then he has that conversation with with Leland that, no, I'm not going to do this. And and controls like, uh, oh, stay where you are. You you made the right decision, as I have found the person who will now do it for me. I disagree with you, but I sound well like I will agree with you. <laughs> Regardless, Pete, let's go to mission log two, seven, one, which side note, there's got to be people that are upset that there's theoretically all these you know 800 plus uh you know splinters to the timeline and whatnot just want to remind you pete as i'm sure you know as listeners know we've seen this before in star trek you know the yesterday's enterprise storyline created two timelines and we proceeded okay so you know again there's probably somebody spending way too much time talking about how now the prime timeline has all these branches and who cares but mission log 271 spock is reflecting on mom showing herself to him uh he reflects on his dyslexia indeed as does mom uh his emotions and logic all made him the only person who may be able to help mom burnham is there too uh his quote-unquote human failings are what made him a candidate for saving the universe uh his judgment of her being unable to process her emotions was not petty but he will admit unwarranted and uh, he says that her questions must be beyond the scope of all that is normal and that they should talk to pike yes after this meeting of the minds here in which spock is identified as 
the greatest candidate in all of time to speak to uh, via the Red Angel. Uh, we go back to Leland, who's refocusing Tyler, reports the sphere data protected itself from deletion, and he tells Leland he won't stop it. Pike and Spock quickly escort Burnham to the transporter room, where he quotes Hamlet, hell yes, before beaming down where her mother doesn't want to speak to her after 20 years. Dr. Burnham feels this is meaningless, but her daughter feels the connection matters. They're equally stubborn and cursed. Yes, we have mom noting that time is not fragile nor beautiful. Instead, it is savage and endless, uh, acting almost as a living thing. Uh, Our Commander Burnham says that now matters. And uh, mom, however, affirms that giving up her daughter right now is easy, that she has let her daughter go a long time ago. Indeed, she's seen her daughter die a hundred times and will a hundred more. In a super powerful line there, mom lives without hope, looking only at the bigger picture and nothing else. In engineering, Stamets reports 43 minutes until the containment field fails. Spock suggests instead of fighting time, they go with it, sending the sphere data so far into the future it can't do them any harm. Stamets scanned nearly infinite storage within the Red Angel suit, meaning they could send it to perpetual infinity that's the name of the episode pete but what would happen to mom you know to be able to save her it would take something like a supernova we might talk about that in our theory segment uh but more immediately they could use a transporter to beam mom permanently into this time pete it worked in the culber episode even though that wasn't a time issue why not go two for two with transporter saves the day the dark matter particles here picked up from the asteroid all the way back, Matt, 11 episodes ago in the season two premiere, get her back into our space time permanently. Aboard the Section 31 ship, Leland tells Georgiou they can't allow Dr. Mom to escape, sowing the seeds of jealousy within her here, at least Control thinks it is, an unacceptable risk to the larger mission what, a, what an interesting turn of phrase. Wait, could you say that again, Pete? I just want to make sure I write that down and remember it. An unacceptable risk to the larger mission. Okay, got it. Have it on a sticky note. Just a little something for me. Uh, he wants Dr. Mom gone and gives her the data amplifier to steal the data. On the planetoid, the Red Angel cert whirs on and Georgiou explains they're transferring the data Discovery is to the suit, which they will then send into the future. She deadens Discovery's feed to talk to Dr. Mom alone. Um, Dr. Burnham has seen Georgiou sacrifice herself for her daughter again and again. But Georgiou thinks she may have her confused with her sentimental prime universe counterpart that's the first time anybody said prime universe on screen pete we did it <laughs> uh, but uh she knows she's taryn uh georgiou admires the suit which dr mom points out is dna encoded in so don't uh think you're gonna get into it and take it for a spin well there goes my theory that the georgiou show is actually going to be her lost in time 
quantum leap style. Oh, well. Or should I say, oh, boy. Um, Giorgio says that time travel must be an intoxicating elixir enough for Dr. Mom to ignore her motherly past. Pete, this is Giorgio planting some seeds back. Uh, we get a wide shot that shows the sphere data is indeed uploading. So I think we as the audience are meant to be told or we're meant to have the conversation mentally. Is Giorgio's small talk valuable or is it just delaying while uh, while the data uploads? On the Section 31 ship, Tyler uh, is told to monitor that upload by Leland. Leland, who has a little twitch with the nanites. It happens to the best of us. On the planet, uh, Dr. Mom wants a promise mother-to-mother -mother with Giorgio that Burnham is to be protected. After all, she's an unacceptable risk to the larger mission. Wait a minute, Pete. I have this sticky note. Didn't you just say that before? <laughs> I believe we did. It causes her to think back on her conversation with Leland there. Burnham and Stamets beam in to fix the feed and explain the plan, but Dr. Mom is worried it would fail and there will be no one to stop control in the future. Georgiou contacts Tyler on a secure channel via her next generation style black Starfleet badge. 22% of the sphere data has been copied so far. She warns him not to betray her. Otherwise, before she dies, she will make sure he dies slowly. I love his kind of fatalistic response where it's the effect of at least there'll be a show to watch as he goes. You know, that spirit of he has kind of died twice already. You know, the Tyler portion he found out died. The Vogue portion has died. I, I just I just love the way uh, Shazad Latif brings that that world weariness to the scene. Ultimately, though, the transporters are fitted with dark matter, and it's time to beam Mom to this time, theoretically, but they just get one shot. Burnham is going to save her mother from herself. Uh, Mom remembers seeing her daughter's past, graduating in white, mastering the Vulcan salute, reading to her dead parents on her 11th birthday. She's seen it all, and it's given her strength and resolve, but Mom can't come home, not yet, not until this thing is gone forever. They touch hands against the containment field. Georgiou deactivates the data transfer and sends Tyler to find out what Leland does in the dark. There in his ready room, his face either open or covered with the nanites, control things, etc., etc., they fight. Leland stabs Tyler and leaves him there, uh, but not before he's able to warn Discovery. Pete, we talk oftentimes how one gunshot, you live, two gunshots, that's TV code for dead. I would suggest a, a third portion of there. When you get stabbed with glass uh, or a similar shard-like thing that uh, is a result of the fist fight you just had, that is TV code for really, really bad shape. Better get you patched up soon. But you can say one last thing before you pass out. Um, Leland beams down. He gets hit by phasers left and right. Uh, I, although not, I don't want to suggest, Pete, that it's too much. It's, it's just enough in terms of him being this, you know, kind of cyborg type hybrid. Um, he kills as he goes. There's neck snaps. There's punches, etc. Um, it's a phenomenal 
scene of chaos here with Alan Van Sprang just unleashing himself on the people around him. It's very well done. And then he absorbs these shots. It goes back to what controls done to him, the ability to do that. Um, and just taking it over and over again as this deadly thing that he now is. Um, Spock tells Pike that section one is diverting the sphere data. Leland destroys the time crystal in the suit, penetrating the containment field. Georgiou bites him and Stamets gets Burnham to safety. Saru reports they cannot stop the data transfer as it begins to speed up. Meanwhile, Pete, we have non firing repeatedly. And also during this fight with uh, with Giorgio, Leland seems to be learning her fighting styles. Um, I have to say, too, the way Michelle Yeoh fights here, you believe that she is the equal of this, you know, super powered nanite enhanced guy. It's just it's her skills. It's the fight choreography. The whole thing really comes together here. Uh, ultimately, though, they uh, our crew destroy the field generators. It's time for mom to be pulled back. We see the suit get pulled up, then mom as well. Uh, with that, the four officers beam up and Discovery torpedoes the base to hell. Yes, and as that happens, Awoshikun uh, detected a transporter signal to the second, Section 31 ship. Uh, Pike orders a pursuit. But of course, Matt, it's masked its warp signature. But there's an escape pod with Tyler in it, though. And just to recap, Pete, we don't see the transportation. We don't see the ship warping away. We don't see the life pod. I guess sometimes you can't pay for all of that. Uh, But later, Pete, Burnham is watching footage of Mom. And Spock reports that Leland has 54% of the data. But the fight continues. Now mom has no suit, no time crystal, and control will always stay ahead. Uh, However, Spock has a life lesson here. Mom was wrong. What happened before does not matter. What happens next hasn't been written. They have only now and what is done here in this moment. Pete, I kind of feel like, though this is totally organic to the episode, I feel like this speech here is a little bit discovery as a production reflecting back on itself we don't need to constantly fit into you know star trek enterprise we don't need to constantly set up tos what is the here and now is what's most important and he sets up the 3d chess set instinct and logic together uh all of history can change with their next move and the board is hers Pete, we have an incoming threat analysis. It's a light in the sky. It's coming on down. It's the Klingons. It's it's landing. They're going to get us. And there's a couple of them in suits that I really do like how they had um, Dr. Burnham take the suit and, you know, just evade the disruptor bolts there. But I kind of wanted some more Klingons in my episode. Yeah, for me personally, a little bit more Klingons, a little bit less kind of the secret history of Burnham, you know, of Michael Burnham. I'm not saying Pete, I don't like Burnham as a character. Of Michael Burnham? Yeah, like the secret, 
the the Michael Burnham interactions in this episode, whether it's whether it's I feel like not enough of her flashback as a child, and then just some of the personal angst that we see from her in this episode. My optimal Star Trek mix, which I'm not saying it's the way it should be, my optimal Star Trek episode mix is a little less of that personal stuff. If you want to do, you know, the secret flashback or get more of life on Doctari Alpha, I would have been okay with that. I don't know. For me personally, I'm not being critical of the episode. For me personally, this wasn't this this episode did not fit what I want like a glove, but that's okay. I'm not here to say it's a terrible episode. It was very well acted. It was all very well-earned story points, but again, as we're talking about the Klingons and Doctor Alpha and the mom and dad flashbacks and, and all that, just wanted to bring that up. Fitting like a glove over the persona of control, Matt, are all these different personalities it can assume holographically. Great acting moments out of all three holographic presentations that we saw and then as mentioned before you know what alan van sprang does with this different presentation of of robo leland as i have him in my notes this is why these people are professional actors because you can find that that tweak here and it's not you know it's not john wayne playing john wayne in a john wayne movie it's you can you know you can say who is Robo Pike? Who is Leland now trying to approximate what it's like to be a human in front of all these dastardly other humans? And it's a great moment, scary though it might be. I think perhaps scarier is it sets up now that Control has assumed human form, who it could be inhabiting next. You're, you're never quite sure. We've established that they'll say something that'll stick in the mind of one character um and though it was control to dr burnham it was the larger idea that uh you know the the larger mission and the risks to it are unacceptable so this cold calculating nature within control and uh i i wonder if you know past this season that could continue on and then Bum, 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 reveal that, you know, Prime Lorca is control. It, it'll be interesting to see what they have set up here because I think there are many question marks. Um, and I'm not being critical, but there's many question marks that can, could be answered in the next three episodes. And it could be three quarters of the way through the season finale, we say, and now control is dead. Or there could be the. You know, the broadcast out to the Gamma Quadrant. Oh, wait, that's setting up the Borg. Or it could continue on and on. Um, this is a season that has not had kind of the first half, second half bad guy arc that we had in the first season. Although it's kind of approximated that with the search for the seven signals. And then now more recently, it's been, you know, attack of control. So it'll be interesting to see where all these threats take us in the next three episodes and beyond. And on those signals that uh, Dr. Burnham has either denied or feigned knowledge of those seven signals to Pike makes you question, okay, are these part of control? Are these a separate threat? We just don't know. Well, Pete, it sounds to me like we need to investigate some theories.
Well, Pete, let's stick with those seven signals. If the red light in the sky didn't come from the red angel that appears with red light, where could things be headed? Well, I mean, where are they ultimately headed? Let's flash forward 950 years to the future, Matt. Anything else in the Star Trek universe going on 950 years in the future in a nebula with the discovery empty, the, the crew needed to leave and uh, an AI and a human. Well, we certainly, of course, as you're setting up, we do have that wonderful short trek, which now lines up, you know, it's, I, I don't remember from that episode, whether it was exactly a thousand years, but a thousand years, 950 years, certainly close enough to explain why nobody a came back for the ship or B just came across it, whether they were, you know, Starfleet or not, uh, it would be a heck of a thing if somehow we circle back to that storyline in these next three episodes. The high dose of tachyon radiation that um, Burnham received when her mother resuscitated her, I thought was a curious detail. And knowing the time mechanics that the show and the franchise likes to play around with, seems kind of suspicious well then add to that in regards to time mechanics add to that where we already had them sneak in the line about seven signals what's that we also had stamets going yikes the only way we could possibly save mom in some sort of way would be a supernova nobody's seen one of those in like i don't know 20 years though do we somehow get some sort of back to the future thing where we go back to the scene where doc brown and mike burnham were both shot and with the supernova fix things and restore a timeline where mom and dad live you mean a supernova that happens every second of the universe matt that supernova well i was talking specifically about the one over Doctori alpha about 20 years ago but i'll take whatever supernova you got I, I think there'll be supernovas a uh, uh, plenty, and they've they've set that up. Whether or not they go in that direction, that's a choice. I think interesting too. And there we were at New York Comic Con um, for the Star Trek panel, where it was revealed that Sinequa Martin Green's husband would be playing a character this season. You know, all the way back then, before we'd seen any of season two, and boom, here in episode eleven. He plays her dad. I guess I would have liked to have him in the show more. Now that said, I certainly can foresee scenarios where, you know, again, they go back and the parents live or, you know, they get zapped out or or dad. I guess mom already did zap out where dad gets taken out one second before the disruptor hits him and, now he and mom will live in the future and happiness or, you know, something like that. But I kind of felt like it was too, too little of him. It's, to... it's me, daughter, wife. <laughs> it's, um, it's me. <laughs> Pete, did Leland, and I mean pre-Nanite Leland, did Leland assume that mom was dead? Did he know that the suit had been taken? What is his level of... Uh, responsibility in the fact that mom did not die that day the the very clear answer is whatever the writers want it to be 
um, that he's been taken over by control now, and we don't know the mechanism wherein he might resist that from the biological side and, and gain it back, or has that character died now that uh, his identity's been taken over? Um, I would bet. I would bet that his character is dead, particularly with with three episodes left. I don't think that we are going to get you know, Leland as the bad guy for the first half of season three, I think it's, you know, it's one more phaser shot. And as the body, uh, as the body falls down dead or, you know, Oh, his heart has stopped. All the little nanite bugs come out and get phasered or get, you know, whatever it is. I think, I think, uh, flesh and bone Leland is gone. The, the bugs slightly remind me, of the next gen episode late in season one conspiracy when the, the bug people uh, were inhabiting Starfleet Uh, be really cool if they found some way to kind of merge that, but there's an element of that going on. Um, The fatalism though, Matt with Dr. Burnham herself, everything that she does, you know, she keeps getting uh, pulled back in the, the AI seems this unstoppable force, but that she knows Pike's fate. And uh, I'm not going to tell you about it now. And the speculation, obviously Anson Mount not being a regular for season three, what's going to happen there. How do we set up what ultimately happens to him? Three episodes here would be a really juicy thing to explore. It would. I increasingly think that kind of the the fan fever dream of oh man, we're going to see the perfect uh, the perfect rejuvenation of the classic Trek bridge through the lens of 2018, 2019, and I don't know what that is, but it's going to be both 1965, 1966, beautiful and modern day beautiful. I increasingly think that's not going to be the case. Here's where I think Pike's story ends this season. The Enterprise comes to pick him up. We get the theme again. We get the return of number one, maybe beaming over. But I think that all we see of that bridge or any more of the Enterprise is him on the bridge, tight close up on him, the classic Trek bridge, very much out of focus in the background with all the sound effects that are appropriate and whatever that perfect thing is that looks both 1965 and 2019, we don't see it. And he just says, thanks for all the help enterprise out. Hope to see you, you know, hope to see you again. And thus ends Pike's time and thus ends our enterprise time. Well, I, I for one think the enterprise is going to be, uh, the, the one to rescue them at some high point of tension in these last couple episodes here what with all the screens and holographic technology they've taken out that control can't uh you know meddle around with but these signals you know we talked in our previous podcast four episodes left four signals matt doesn't watch the previews but mention of the fourth signal in the next episode kind of running out of time to explore these we're, we're gonna have to get Four and three, maybe a two for one. <laughs> maybe I hope so. I mean, here we are back talking uh, theories with the signals. I'd like to circle back to another theory from last week. I know that 
somewhat jokingly, somewhat seriously, we had talked about Control as the future Borg. Let's circle back there again. I mean, we see this human-robotic hybrid better articulated this episode than ever before. You had mentioned the episode Conspiracy, which, of course, was bug people, not robot people. Um, A, uh, that was... It's not uh, established canonically, Matt, that they weren't robot bug people. <laughs> um, that, of course, was an attempt by the next generation to have some sort of, you know, proto serial storytelling in the future. Uh, the decision ultimately bug people are really expensive and couldn't we do something a little cheaper, but that idea became the Borg uh, right. again, not, not story-wise the bug people didn't become the Borg, but at the very end of that episode, there's like, wait, we couldn't stop them from sending out that one last signal. And there's an exterior shot and you just hear, you know, Star Trek Morse code, going out the signal going out to signal a bug people that never came if we're taking another stab at the borg theory i'd love that maybe the last gasp of control is you know some sort of uh modem morse code whatever it is going out there and we get left with the exact same feeling that oh no who are these robot people and it could be a little wink and a nod to say and they show up you know they show up in the future as the borg well, let's remember the Borg are established as of this time. Enterprise dealt with them. They had been to Earth. There had been a ship that had crashed there. So what we're not talking about is the creation of the Borg unless we get the time element thrown in there. I mean, listen, that they have all these things to play with and to misdirect is an embarrassment of riches. And that people like us, Matt, get to sit around and speculate as to this even more so pete keep these theories going so uh one serious one more of a casting nature here matt um so the suit and dr burnham did they go back 950 years to the future or because discovery has uh messed with this they wind up someplace else well, I so uh, Pete, I'll give the answer that you gave before. It's whatever the writers want. It, it does seem that that Doctor Mom has been unable to slingshot anywhere else than 950 years in the future. Now, that said, it could be 950 years plus a little bit more. Does she end up finding the discovery a thousand years from now and somehow using that? I was surprised that it seemed. I want to emphasize seemed because I'm not totally committed to it, but the idea that that's it for the mom storyline. We got a little sizzle at the end of last week's episode and she's in it this week and now gasp, she's gone. I'm not buying it. There's got to be more from her. And will we get more of Kenrick Green here, Matt? And can we have a scene where we have Michael, Mike and mom? That would be that would certainly be ideal. I, I increasingly like the idea that uh, Dr. Mom and Mike are going to end up somewhere safe in the future uh, without redoing Back to the Future style, without redoing everything. You know, you think of how Burnham has been defined by the loss that she's had, by the time that she's spent with Spock and with Sarek and with Amanda. I cannot imagine some sort of Back to the Future-esque thing where oh, you're basically the same person, but 
mom and dad are happy and mom's not an alcoholic and dad's a uh dad's uh, an author and dave doesn't work at mcdonald's anymore he wears a suit <laughs> and other sister who off the top of my head i can't remember They're mcdonald's on doctor alpha <laughs> they just might um uh, but again i cannot in any way foresee the the return of burnham's parents on doctor alpha and her growing up fundamentally different it would change the character who we have known since day one, who we've known in flashbacks, etc. So if you want mom to live, if you want dad to live, it's got to be somewhere safe, and the somewhere safe has got to be in the future. Maybe they spend out uh, the rest of their years camping on uh, on another planet, since Terralisium hopefully gets saved, another planet where they can just do their own thing. With that, let's go to Hailing Frequencies. Hailing Frequencies open, sir. Pete, we start as we do with the poll ran on Twitter. Your choices. One star, pain in the eye. Two stars, 54% downloaded. Uh, three stars, my life pod. And four stars, right here, right now. Uh, it was 4% for one star. Interestingly enough, no votes for two stars. Maybe they were turned off by the specific uh, computer reference there. 23% said three stars and a very healthy 73% said right here, right now, four stars. I would agree with that estimation there. Not their finest hour. Um, I, I think last week was a little bit better. And uh, I'm I'm really interested what remained in these final three episodes. We didn't even get that drilled in in the uh, – in the preview, you know, there are only three episodes and, and four lights. <gasps> there, there are four lights, Matt. Pete, that's because All Access doesn't want you realizing that if you cancel now, you can get the rest <laughs> of the season and then do a quick little rewatch or whatever. Uh, they, they want you checking out Twilight Zone on Monday. I was going to say, man, you know, three episodes of Twilight Zone on Monday, right? Uh, I think just two. Two just and then there's two? A... It'll feel like three. Absolutely. Twi- twist, Pete. It's going to be all of them. I'm just kidding. Anyhow, uh, a couple of tweets here. One from R. Moore. Probably not Ronald D. Moore. I'm just going to throw that out there. R. Moore, uh, 6179 on Twitter. As usual, a very exciting episode. Michael has three mothers now. They all love her very much. I have to admit, Pete, I started to chuckle reading the first half of that sentence, but R. Moore is absolutely correct, and they all do love her very much. I've noticed a mother theme this season, with Tilly having issues with her mother as well. And then there's Laurel telling the Klingons to call her mother. Not one thing, it's your mother, Matt. There you go. Uh, tweet from James, that's at Big Killin. Intense. Mitochondrial DNA explanation was weak, but the fast pace made up for it. Dr. Burnham series for 841 episodes strong. <laughs> that is a delightful observation there. I, I do want to circle back to his earlier comment. Yes, the mitochondrial DNA explanation was weak. Yes, I know there is matrilineal uh, transfer and whatnot, but... It's 100% totally you, Burnham. We've totally checked it out, and in no way have we filtered for mitochondrial DNA. I feel that the show successfully set that up for it to not come through. So I was fine with that. You know what uh, it was, Pete? They wanted that zinger of an ending so bad. Yeah. While still needing to put enough dissent in there so it wasn't out of left field, but they wanted the ending more than they wanted the debate along the way. Um, I'd agree with most of that. And as tantalizing as the idea of Sonequa Martin-Green acting in a scene against herself was, 
from an emotional standpoint, the mother thing rings better. One more tweet here from JT Atkins. That's at JTA is me. Great episode once again. For a moment, I thought Dr. Burnham was going to recite Henry Fonda's I'll Be There speech from Grapes of Wrath. <laughs> if Dr. Burnham succeeds, Michael is an orphan. Spock doesn't have an adopted sister. Season three is Prime George Joe commanding Discovery. Pete, I would not argue for that in the writer's room, but he has a really, really, really interesting line of logic there. Yeah, that Prime Giorgio could come back via the Red Angel is absolutely tantalizing. Like, you the, want to fundamentally reboot the show, the tools are there. They are, and inherently the nature of Star Trek. Um, will they go that direction, though? And that there's, you know, we have this three-episode arc to sum up this story remains so out there as far as the directions they can go in with that pete let's hear from our pal fred in the netherlands hello matt and pete this is fred from the netherlands with some pete fact for star trek discovery season 2 episode 11 i like the episode but i have some major and minor nitpicks michael is standing there at the containment field where her mother is in and she is constantly in a kind of dilemma between not wanting to lose her again and to let her go and she's crying and saying I, I don't want to let you go but I have to I don't want to let you go but I have to and crying and actually this was quite quite similar to the scene two episodes ago with Ariam so that was too similar for me one of the biggest nitpicks I had in this episode was the scientific rubbish that Colbert getting out of his mouth. He said, there are scientific biological similarities between mothers and daughters, especially the mitochondrial DNA. Uh, that's true, but the same significant biological similarities, if you're talking about mitochondrial DNA, are between mothers and sons. So this is not a mother-daughter specific thing. And your mitochondrial DNA is only a fraction of your DNA. And for your chromosomal DNA, which is the fastest amount of the DNA you have, you only are for 50% similar to your mother. So on the DNA basis, is silly. And on the other hand, if you look at neurological patterns, so brain waves, etc., etc., because children and parents are so different, so at least for 50%, I don't think these biological patterns are able to be so similar that you confuse a mother from a daughter. So, scientific rubbish. What I always thought is that somebody just got the biomarkers from Michael when she was younger and they just put it in this file. Whoever stole her biological data, whatever. And I think when they are stationed in a Section 31 station, they are completely biologically screened when they get their appointment there, including their children. So Section 31 could easily have Michael's biological patterns and put that in the file, although the Red Angel was a mother. Another no was, who did tie up Leland there so that the AI could invade him? Who did that? The AI? 
With which hands? Uh, it's holographic hands. Okay, that was all for now. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. Pete, what are your takeaways from Fred's wisdom? Well, first off, who better than a geneticist in Fred to explain to us the mitochondrial differences between um, daughter, mother, potentially son? So uh, perhaps we need to get uh, Fred in the writer's room there as a consultant. So much was made that they had uh, all these consultants, NASA, so on and so forth. The real Paul Stamets before season one, Matt. Maybe uh, maybe they can give old Fred in the Netherlands a, a call. I mean, if the character Stamets is named after Stamets, can we hope for oh. a season three character, Captain Fred? <laughs> Make it happen. Make it happen. Secondly, really good point, which I had not considered. How did uh, Leland get bound up? I guess he did it to himself once he got punctured in the eye and kind of took himself over. And then the the thing was behind him that injected him with the nanites. Uh, the, the true answer is it happened between episodes and we don't ever see it. Pete, I don't want to suggest, oh man, Discovery, the show is becoming Titanic here, but it's a lot of hand wave, not a lot. Maybe let me dial back here. This is not the first instance of writerly hand-waving that we've seen in the last couple episodes where they could have explained such and such, but, you know, the the pace of the story didn't allow. Or, logically, why is there a stabby thing? Well, we could explain that away as it's a spy thing. You know, there's a certain point where you get the wiggle room from the audience and you say, "Ah, whatever, he had to end up strapped in because that's the story moving on. The audience can then move from that mindset to, oh, look, another thing that I know the story you were trying to tell, but you pushed other things out of the way to get there. And does that logically fit? So I guess, Pete, a a potential wag of the finger to the writer's room in the past, because, of course, these episodes have long since been written. And, of course, changes can't be made in the past. But helping write our future are the people who support us on Patreon.com slash Fantastic Geek, helping make sure that all that we do in the future is made possible and all the past episodes remain in the past. Everybody who contributes at Patreon.com slash Fantastic Geek gets exclusive access to podcast content. Going to be uploading early for our patrons, Matt, our Shazam take uh, before everybody else gets that a little bit later and uh, cannot be more thankful to everybody who makes that possible between bandwidth, between special projects to bring it all to you. Our thanks deep as always. And Pete, the best treat is always a freebie. It's talking to you on Twitter. How can people do so? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 10,374 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, on Instagram, on Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek. All one word with the PH. Like it today. As you mentioned, Pete, for our Patreon listeners, there'll be a goodie coming in the next couple days. If you listen to us in the Pop Culture Podcast feed, we'll be talking God Friended Me on Monday. And then, of course, back next weekend for more Star Trek Discovery as we get down to three episodes remaining. 
But a new star in our sky, at least a new old star, Cloak and Dagger, coming back to Freeform this Thursday. And we'll be podcasting that next weekend as well. Is Mayhem coming, Pete? I'm not entirely clear between all the advertising that's gone on if Mayhem is coming. Will we find out? Will we discuss Mayhem is coming? I think we will. So busy times ahead, but fun times nonetheless. With that, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. Faith is not a strategy.